we're very fortunate today to celebrate a year with everyone, Bingo Jane. And uh, I like her a lot. She's got a good sense of humor. She loves her service as well. So Jane, take as long as you need. We're all here to hear you. Love you loads, buddy. Thank you, Mark, uh, for inviting me today to share. Uh, my name is Jane. Uh, I am a very grateful alcoholic, and my sobriety date is 3322, one year ago uh, today. Um, I have two sponsors, a service sponsor and a 12-step sponsor, uh, as well as a uh, therapist for PTSD. Um, and I, uh, I really hope I make them proud with this, uh, share today. Um, they have put a lot of work into me. <laughs> um, as you guys, uh, might've noticed in the first, uh, past couple of minutes, this meeting is, uh, done a little differently. Um, it's one of the things I love about AA is that it's all autonomous. Uh, so, um, there's a little bit of anarchy in it, um, and, one of the reasons why I love Tusnua is, uh, you know, just um, come and go, pop up meetings and, you know, marathons. Um, so, yeah, I really like that Tusnua is, uh, you know, got their own thing going on. Uh, this share is also going to be a little different before I really um, get into it. Um, I'm going to be discussing uh, something called necrotizing fasciitis, uh, which is a flesh eating bacteria. Um, I, uh, have not discussed this in depth, uh, before with anyone outside my sponsors and therapists, and I don't think in one single sitting. Um, so, uh, I'm going to be discussing medical stuff. Um, some of it could be potentially upsetting. Um, I'm not going to try and be graphic. Um, I just, uh, I've seen so much that sometimes I forget that something is like shocking until like people gasp, but you're all on mute. So, um, I also hope with this share being recorded that, you know, maybe, uh, there are doctors out there that can find it someday and learn about necrotizing fasciitis and the physical consequences of a severe case, as well as the mental consequences that nobody prepared me for. Um, so if, anybody is listening to this, you know, in the future or whatever, um, please go to AA's website and check out the resources for the medical community first, um, and then come back here. Um, last thing I want to say before I really get into it is, um, if, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's my robot vacuum turning on for me right now. So I'm going to go turn Wally off on me. Okay. Um, man, I got distracted. Last thing I want to say, um, uh, if you're listening to this and you have, uh, survived a case of necrotizing fasciitis or any other type of sudden shocking, severe medical crisis, uh, where, you know, one day you wake up normal and the next day you wake up, um, in an entirely different world. Uh, if you want to talk or if you have any questions, my recovery email is uh, J-A-Y-N-E, the letter M as in Mary, and then the numbers 3322 at gmail.com. So that's J-A-Y-N-E-M, 
3322 at gmail.com because as you will hopefully hear in my share, um, the power of recovery and of being alive really is connecting with other people. Um, and there are a lot of people to connect with uh, in the world, but it's, it's also so liberating to uh, be able to find, you know, that one other person in the rooms um, in a random secular meeting on a Thursday night in AA that's also had a severe case of necrotizing fasciitis. So with that, I will get into it. I appreciate that this is a no time limit share because uh, like I said, um, I have not uh, processed this before, sat down, talked, uh, thought it all the way through. Um, and uh, I've been doing a lot of work to be able to get here with my trauma therapist to be able to process flashbacks and, you know, not catapult myself into hell. Um, before I get into that, though, I want to tell you who I was before I got sick. Because, like, not only do none of you know who that woman was, <laughs> until this past week, I had really forgotten about her, too, or maybe thought she was dead or unable to incorporate into this new world um, I'm in. Um, uh, I was born uh, in the, you know, I grew up in the 90s. Uh, ADHD and anxiety, like right out the gate. Um, I was a very hyper uh, anxious kid um, raised by a narcissist, um, you know, uh, in like her own little version of a mini cult. It was just all power control and manipulation. And we had to appear perfect for everyone all of the time. Um, and it caused a lot of uh, what I later learned to be complex uh, PTSD. Um, which I'm grateful for. Um, when I was six years old, um, I was uh, a babysitter that was supposed to come over, canceled. Uh, so her brother um, offered to come over instead and started babysitting me for a little bit. Um, but uh, he uh, molested me. Um, not super traumatized by that because what was more traumatic was my mother not really taking that seriously. Um, and not giving it weight um, and telling me it wasn't a big deal and to play it down and that other people had it worse, you know. Um, so maybe that's where the problem started. You know, maybe I was born problematic, who knows? Um, but uh, that was the age of six. Uh, and then at the age of 12, um, I, uh, I don't really have the right vocabulary to describe what happened to me by the Catholic church. Um, I uh, was in the sixth grade. I was 12 years old. Uh, we got a new teacher, a nun, um, who uh, made me the scapegoat of the class, would just put me in front of the group and uh, attack me and then encourage the group to attack me as well. Um, which they did um, sometimes because they really did enjoy it. And then other times because they were just in fear of um, being me. Um, and when that wasn't going on, I was just kept in the back of the classroom um, facing uh, the windows. Uh, the classroom I was in was to, uh, it was the corner, thank God. 
<laughs> um, and uh, it was two windows. So I had this fantastic view. And that's probably where my love of uh, people viewing came from, because I would just uh, stare out the window and disassociate. Um, I was uh, able to just read what was going on in class and get the schoolwork done. Um, so I didn't have to be engaged and get hurt anymore. And I would just uh, daydream. It was my first form of escape, um, which would become a common theme in my life. Um, told my parents about this, told my mom about it. Um, and uh, nothing really happened until finally um, a gym teacher um, noticed that something was very wrong with Sister Catherine's sixth grade class. Um, and that teacher ended up getting uh, fired and uh, um, removed. Uh, I think she lost her frock and was sent back to India, like she lost her visa as well. Um, uh, but um, everything was fine, um, except it wasn't. Um, I was, you know, a weird dysfunctional kid. So I got bullied a lot and uh, ended up dropping out of high school uh, in the middle of my senior year over it. Um, you know, I don't really need to get into why, uh, I wasn't, you know, um, I had a lot of problems and trauma already and, um, a mother who wasn't teaching me anything. Um, I had to, um, go out and teach myself how to do everything and asking her for help, um, or needing assistance was shameful. Um, I needed to be helpful and be there um, and just be perfect for others. Um, so while I did uh, leave uh, high school in the middle of my senior year, um, my father worked in the education system and like I had college credits at that point. So um, I was able to get a high school degree um, from a, a school he knew that was able to transfer me in, um, you know, last week of high school. Uh, even though I hadn't taken a single class there simply because I had done all this AP work. Um, uh, hit 18, um, went to college and just started to explore the world and try and get away from my mother. But she kept calling me back. Um, and uh, that ended though, when I was 21 years old, um, working uh, at, um, uh, a restaurant. Um, I had already gone and done some internships in Florida and California for Disney, um, moved around a bit, um, was going to school to become a teacher, but wasn't really digging that, um, was working at a restaurant and was working at uh, the school that I used to attend. Um, like I, I had a lot of things on my plate. Um, and, uh, then the, um, bus boy at my job, uh, raped me. And, uh, when I told my mother, I wanted to go to the police about that. Um, I became homeless as well. Um, it was really hard, uh, for quite a bit there, but, um, somehow, some way, uh, I, uh, landed a job, uh, right across the street, um, from where I was raised in Chicago, like literally across the street to the point where like, if you got a soda at one McDonald's, it was like three or four cents more than the McDonald's across the street in Indiana because of the differing state taxes. Um, so I was homeless at the time um, and kind of just skating by. And I gotten a job uh, and um, 
it was my second day of training and um, my new boss came up to me and said, uh, do, um, do you want to work tomorrow? Um, we just had someone call out. It's a long, crazy shift though. Um, I wouldn't offer it to you if I didn't think you could handle it, but I know you have uh, experience, you know, working in restaurants and um, food service. Um, and I was like, well, what is it? She said, it's going to be um, a minimum 16 hour uh, backstage server gig uh, for Penn and Teller. They tour the country. They're coming in town tomorrow, one night. Um, you'll need to be here at six in the morning to literally open the building. And uh, you can't leave until that bus pulls out. And I said, fuck yeah. I mean, I think I was professional. Um, but I said, absolutely. Um, I needed the money. And I thought that was going to be the whole point, right? Um, but uh, that interaction with Penn and Teller, well, with Teller, um, it changed my life. Um, and I'm so grateful I have a chance to share it with all of you. Um, Penn is the taller one. He's the talking one. Uh, he was sick that day, but he was still social and friendly. But um, he kept going back to his uh, green room um, just to rest and keep his energy, you know, reserved. Um, so I got to know uh, Teller and the crew very well. Um, Teller, the one that doesn't talk, right? Um, and uh, I just loved hearing what he had to say. Like his life is just fascinating. Um, and uh, spent the day with them, got to watch them rehearse, saw some behind the scenes magic and all that cool shit. Uh, and um, served him dinner and all that right before he went to go on stage. And mind you, this is my third day of work. Um, uh, he goes to um, go backstage to start the show. And I say to him, oh, um, it was nice chatting with you, Teller. Uh, I'll see you after the show. Good luck. And he's walking away and he turned on his heel and started walking right back towards me. And in my head, I was like, oh, I fucked up. You know not to say good luck. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad luck to say good luck on opening night. But I mean, that's, there's more than that. You just don't say good luck. Oh, you, you're you're going to get fired. He's storming towards you. You're about to get fired. Damn it. You needed this. Um, but that's not what happened at all. Um, uh, Teller's shorter than me. And he doesn't talk, which made this even more profound. I mean, in the show, in real life, he's a fantastic gentleman. Um, he walked over to me and, um, I'm 5'10". Uh, so he, he had to, he had to look up at me and, um, maybe he wagged his finger at me. Maybe he didn't, but he said to me that there's no such thing as luck, that nothing that they were doing in their show was magic. And that, but that he wanted to tell me because we had been talking at that point about like each other, like just chatting lightly. He told me that, you know, it had nothing to do with luck that every time in his life that it looked like he had gotten lucky or, uh, you know, had been in the right place at the right time. Um, he had actually been preparing for, in somehow some way um that there was no such thing as luck uh it was opportunities to be prepared for or not um man 
it shook me then and it shakes me now sharing it with all of you. He, it wasn't as profound as I said to all of you. It was truly just off the cuff, I think. Um, but I was still homeless. Um, I had gone from, you know, going to school and having two jobs and a, and a path in front of me to, to an abyss. Um, so Teller walked away and, uh, I like took two steps to my right into a service elevator, shut it, turned it off and sobbed. It was exactly what I needed to hear and it changed my life. I thought it only changed my life in that one moment. And while I had gotten hired as an on-call banquet server and in 2014, um, I had uh, packed my bags and uh, moved to Las Vegas uh, without a job because they kept saying that I sounded cool on the phone, kid, but they didn't hire uh, like from a distance like that. So I knew I just had to meet him in person and I'd make an impression. So, you know, uh, three years later, I packed my bags, moved to Vegas, no job, a little bit in my savings, um, which really uh, was where I was thriving and loving my life because it finally let me soak up and like listen and learn and connect with everything I wanted to hear about. Um, because like I realized I couldn't be um, an expert in, um, or I couldn't be a jack of all trades. Um, there was a phrase I'd heard at one point, like an, a jack of all trades is an expert in none. Um, so I realized that if I just knew enough people, I could start connecting them. Um, and that's what I loved about working at a tech startup at the bottom floor was that I got to see the company grow and, um, I facing the company and connecting the engineering team, the art team, sometimes the CEO to the correct players, um, and vice versa. I really loved my career. Um, I loved working there. Um, and there's a lot more to it than that. Um, I've written like a musical, but um, uh, what I'm trying to stress is that I was on top of the world. I had problems. Uh, like I said, I, I've written, you know, my fourth step about it and it was so hard to process. I had to turn it into a musical. Um, but on the surface, you know, uh, it was 2019 and I was 29 at that point, uh, been in Vegas, uh, since 2000, uh, well, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was 2019 and, um, I loved traveling, um, so much, um, and it never held me back if I had to go by myself. So I decided to go to star Wars celebration in Chicago, um, in April. Um, and, uh, I packed my bags. Um, I met some people in line at the airport that were also going and made friends there and met up with some friends I already knew and had a great time. Um, and, uh, um, I had a small, uh, a small sunburn on my shoulder that um, just through rubbing and scratching and all of that um, had gotten a bit uh, too deep. Um, and uh, I had been going to conventions um, for quite a long time. So I was very um, familiar with, um, you know, con crud as uh, it's called. Um, so I knew to try and be healthy and safe. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, for years, um, if you're able to look at your screen, I'm going to sh share uh, a couple photos for a little bit. Um, but if you're not, I'm going to describe them visually as this is being audio recorded. For a while, I would tell people that this was the last photo of me before I died, literally. Um, I had just gotten, um, this is a photo of me with my back facing the camera and you cannot see my face. I am wearing a, um, backless dress that is showing off two tattoos. So this photo, uh, um, that I'm describing, um, I'm showing, uh, two tattoos on my back. Um, a tattoo that is the word serenity in the font from the show Firefly and another tattoo uh, from the movie Rogue One that says um, all is as uh, the force wills it. I fear nothing. Um, and uh, if you um, actually zoom in, oops, um, uh, I'm going to zoom into the photo because uh, you can actually see the Band-Aid on my shoulder um, that uh, no one knew um, was covering up necrotizing fasciitis. Um, we examined this photo for clues, for hints, um, to try and figure out uh, what happened. Um, yeah, for a while I told people, oh, and the reason this is with Alan Tiddick is because, and uh, this is a photo uh, from Star Wars Celebration. It's a photo op staged photo and it's with Alan Tiddick because he has been in both Firefly and Rogue One. Um, and I had already um, met up with him at a couple different cons and chatted and um, I wanted to show him the new one, um, which I had just gotten, uh, Serenity. So I really liked the show and the movie. You know, I really liked Serenity. Um, it was really a big part of my childhood. You know, big part of my life from the beginning, the Serenity shit. Um, I said that this was the last photo of me before I died, but actually like looking up stuff for the share, I discovered it was actually this. Um, I changed out of uh, my outfit showing off my tattoo into a, uh, I was kind of dressing up as a, a Ray kind of, uh, um, with a, a skirt, um, a, a low key cosplay, um, bounding is her is what we call it in the community. Um, and I just really loved this little wicket. Um, and, uh, damn, I look sick. Uh, um, on that last day, I don't really remember much, uh, I woke up feeling so unwell and, um, that photo, um, had been, um, man, I went to the Mandalorian panel and was in the room, like one of the first people to see the trailer, I guess, but I don't remember that. Um, I went to lunch with a friend and don't remember that either. Um, I, uh, went back to my hotel room, which I do remember, um, being on the, the CTA, um, and then I remember being in my hotel room, um, trying to pack, um, and, um, crying because it was hard. Like I was drunk, except I wasn't drunk. Um, in fact, I had bought like a case of, um, beer, uh, in case, um, my friends had wanted to come over, like, um, 
Bud or Miller had been like testing out some orange thing. And um, it was so disgusting that like, I, I was like, you guys can come over if you want at some point during the con, but like my room is a bust. So like, I was like, did I drink this and not realize like I felt so unwell um, but I, I was there by myself and I needed to get it together pack because I had to catch my flight and I had to get back to work. I'm going to go over the next six months. Uh, in two parts, first from the physical aspect and then from the mental aspect. Um, because if I don't, um, I, I downplay um, both of them uh, because they're so traumatic. Um, the last thing I remembered was trying to pack so I could catch my flight. Um, and the next thing I remember was waking up in um, a bed and um, needing to catch my flight, but it was very hard. And why was it so hard? Um, and that's how uh, the doctors, nurses, medical staff, and I discovered that um, I am resistant to drugs. Uh, like not all of them, um, like, and not like resistant or whatever. They have better clinical terms, you know? Um, but I woke up from the coma by myself on accident um, because I just, uh, it wore off too soon. And, um, I was like, wow, um, I just had the most wild dream of my life. Um, but, uh, I have to, uh, I have to go, um, catch a plane and I comas melt your brain, but also so does Dilaudid. Um, so I didn't realize that, um, I was missing a lot of me and I couldn't move. Um, no one knew what was happening to me at first. Um, you know, uh, had I been doing drugs, you know, when they first brought me into the ER, they narcaned my ass a few times, rightfully so a woman on vacation passes out in her hotel room body is found by housekeeping the next day. I'd narcan my ass, like, fuck, keep going. Um, was it drugs? They asked me, was I attacked by someone? Was it acid? Was it, was it a bug? Um, you know, I had no idea what was going on. Um, one doctor uh, said that he thought it was the this one type of um, virus, maybe possibly, but it it couldn't possibly be that because like, not only was it rare, we were in Chicago in the winter um, and that made no sense. Um, so they were investigating um, what was going on. They wanted to know what had happened to me and how I was alive. Um, because what I didn't realize was, um, truly how close to death, um, I had been, um, I, uh, woke up deaf, uh, completely in my right ear, um, and, uh, almost completely deaf in my left, but they were able to do some treatments to that, um, and, um, restored my hearing, um, to like about 50% ish, um, on the right and the left is, um, I'm going to get new hearing aids this year. So that's really exciting. Um, but the horror part was, um, where the necrotizing fasciitis had gotten into me. Um, that's what we discovered. It was, uh, about a week after I woke up from the coma, because even after they were pretty sure that it was that they still had to do some more testing.
Necrotizing fasciitis is a flesh-eating bacteria. I had streptococcal pyrogenus type 2. It got into my shoulder and um, just ate at me like a little zombie. Um, deep down to the bone. Um, spread throughout the right side of my body. Um, up into my sinuses. Up into my brain. Um, uh, in, into my shoulder, um, down to the bone in my right arm, uh, to the elbow. That was the most graphic, uh, part of it, um, where my bone was exposed to the open air, um, as well as there were other, um, necrotizing pockets, um, around me. Um, and, uh, they think that it didn't go any, uh, further than, um, my hips, um, and like four years out, I think that's true. I don't think the damage went, uh, any lower than that. Um, so, uh, I was on, um, a lot of IV treatment, um, all of the antibiotics, like I, like all of them, um, they started, they put me in rehab, uh, to teach me how to walk again. Um, somebody had to come in and, you know, wipe my ass and comb my hair. It was, um, what broke and humiliated me was when I finally asked Dirty if she would brush my hair because um, I couldn't lift my arms. Um, uh, but um, what was uh, the worst was the wound back. Um, the necrotizing tissue was still, uh, you know, fighting. Like the week I was in the coma, they had done debridement surgeries to get it to stop. Um, and then, uh, there was a wound back that they had to change every other day, um, in between the debridements, um, to keep getting, um, it would suck the, the dead bad stuff out, like literally like a vacuum. And in order to do that, um, they would have to attach a like waterproof, everything proof sticker to your flesh. Um, to do that. So every other day they would have to, um, they would have to change that, which would involve ripping it off me. And, um, I mean, that would hurt without, you know, wounds where your bones are exposed to air when they take out the packing. Right. Um, uh, that's where a lot of, uh, yeah, my fear comes from. Um, because, uh, that pain, um, you know, um, the doctors wanted to study me, um, and then of course show their students residents, um, to figure out how I survive. Um, and, um, that pain um, that they had to put me through to keep me alive. It's the most contradicting part of my trauma, you know, to start off each wound back dressing change, you know, like, Hey, I know this is hard and it's going to be hard for us both and scary, but you can do it. And this is how I like it to be done. No matter what happens, just stick to the plan, okay? Um, and uh, 
it would just be hard when the pain would get so bad. Like when I would go from, you know, screaming at them to like, keep going, um, to instead be screaming at them to knock me out, to just, to kill me. I just wanted to die. Why had they saved me? And the nurse is crying and the doctor's confounded because they've given me the maximum amount of every drug they could give me. And one of them saying back to me, like, we don't understand how you're still awake right now. Um, so I had a couple of debridement surgeries, ended up having a skin graft um, uh, because my wounds were never going to, I had lost a lot. Um, so many MRI scans, tests, geez, um, all to study me, like how the hell did I get this and why did I live? Um, and, uh, through all of our investigations and research, um, we pinned it down to, cause they wanted to know if it was something that could be like replicated. And, um, uh, it came down to the fact that, um, I had been a boxer in my free time um, as a casino executive. Uh, so um, I had just been in such good shape um, that uh, when um, they were ready to say that it was over and done with, I mean, they found my body outside the window of recovery. Like I'm alive because I unknowingly was prepared for, I got really lucky. Um, cause I had been a boxer. Thanks teller. Um, before discharging the ER doctor came to see me, um, that I don't remember, um, you know, to go over, like, she was just so happy to see me alive. She cried. Uh, she was like, you have no idea. Um, like, they thought I was done for. And I was so baffling. Like, why was I deteriorating under their hands? Everything they were doing was not working. Um, uh, but I, I kept, I died at one point and I kept, I just, um, so yeah, she wanted to let me know, you know, I had coded at one point, but of course being in a coma, they stop your heart anyway. Um, and especially with, you know, what I had going on, they were trying to, um, when I was in the coma, they were trying to stop it from spreading any further. It did spread to my chest cavity at one point, And I had, uh, for a while, a really cool titty scar. Um, it was really dope, but it's gone now. I told people that's where I got shot. So that's the physical stuff. Um, mentally, um, I would like to tell you all about my coma. Not a lot of people can say that. Not a lot of people can say that. I have gone out to the coma communities and we're a small group. And then even then, um, I haven't really interacted with any of them because sometimes it just seems like they're LARPing, which means what I mean to say is that sometimes it seems like people in this community are um, have created fictional lives to live out online and it hasn't happened to them. But I remember my coma. For some reason, um, I was, it was a great dream from my perspective. Um, I was, uh, I, I was in this house uh, with the kids from Stranger Things. 
and um we uh um would ride our bikes around town and um we could also go to like different like video game levels and i would like i would love going to different disney princess levels um uh our house was in the mountains um it was uh the childhood i never um really got to have um growing up you know um we just had so much fun like at one point we like figured out how to travel in time and like we went back and visited our parents and we're like oh no what's gonna happen when we go back to the present will we even exist but we were, we were it's, it was a coma we were fine um but uh i think i remember dying in that um at one point i couldn't find my friends um uh it had gotten dark um uh and all that i could see were just mountains um not mountains but hills um and the sky and the horizon was black um and i kept thinking if i would just walk over the next hill um if i could just get past the next kind of vague black barrier um you know i would i'd find my friends again and not be alone and so scared it was so dark and frightening and i mean i'm sure you know that experience in the real world was very brief but god that was the only part of uh my dream that was a nightmare it felt like it lasted forever i just kept walking and crying and looking for my friends um uh I recently watched Stranger Things 4. Um, uh, I caught up with the show because, um, you know, I've been dealing with stuff. And um, I realized while I was watching Stranger Things, I was like, oh, you know, that kind of black um, void, that black abyss, it kind of reminds me of the Upside Down when um, Eleven is uh, in people's memories. Um, and uh, specifically, um, uh, there is uh, one part in the show uh, um, where um, this was kind of um, what it looked like um, while I was trying to look for my friends. Imagine that this part was not sun in the background. It was just black. And I just kept thinking like, okay, if I like get past like this hill, it'll be fine. All right. Still no friends. This one. Nope. The, that one. Um, but there was no sunlight on the horizon. Like I was not walking towards anything good. Um, I was walking towards nothing. Um, there was just nothing there. Um, if you are listening to this, uh, it's a picture of um, the uh, upside down um, when um, it's first uh, discovered and vague. Um, you know, as we've seen in past seasons uh, versus the more concrete version from the most recent season. So in case you're wondering what that was like. So I was walking through that wondering where my friends were and terrified and petrified. Um, and then all of a sudden, like a pop up window, like showed up in the sky. Right. And it like asked it was asking me something. There were two prompts and uh, I couldn't even figure out what it was saying because i was sobbing at that point like ugly snot sob bleh. 
just nasty crying. Cause I was like, where are my friends? I'm scared. So I couldn't even figure out what the prompt was saying, what it was asking me. Um, uh, and I didn't have to because one of the options was chosen and then blink. Um, I was back in my house with my friends. We were in our basement, little den area. It's not like the one in stranger things. Like ours was more Midwest style. We're like, um, on one end, you can go up the stairs to like, uh, get up to the main floor, but, um, it's the basement, um, and it's kind of on a hill. So you can like go out the, the basement to the backyard. Um, and there's decks and stuff, um, except it had three stories. The third story was only for a bathroom with a claw-footed tub. It was more like a claw-footed pool, but, you know, I truly believe in my coma. Maybe I was, like, living my best, like, 12-year-old life or some shit like that. Um, so, yeah, like, that was a great dream that I woke up from um, to hell, to a physical hell that I just described to all of you. Um, so you'll have to understand, I hope, uh, that for quite a bit, um, I could not figure out what reality was. Um, what, Cause, you know, the hospital was real and it was, it was Jane, but it was fucking horrific and awful and wrong and dark. And that coma, dream, whatever, um, that didn't really make sense, but it was a lot nicer. Um, it made a lot more sense. Um, since I was on vacation by myself, um, uh, I there was no one with me when I got hospitalized and I was isolated. Um, I still had friends who would come visit me while I was, uh, there, um, that I knew, um, from when I was raised in Chicago, but I pretty much turned 18 and like, um, just started moving and trying to get away from my mother. And then of course, when, um, she disowned me, um, and, uh, you know, I had to go my own path. I just kind of like left all of that. Like I maintained very few friendships. Um, I didn't really uh, keep a lot of people in my life because I assumed that they didn't want me around um, because of whatever my birth mother was sharing about me. So, but I still had some people who came and visited me and they, um, they, they saved my life. They kept me sane um, because otherwise I would have just been in complete isolation and insanity. Um, I immediately started blacking out traumatic memories. I now realize, um, of just stuff that was happening. Like I would be having conversations with people and they'd be like, don't you remember talking about this Jane? Um, and at the time I just thought like, man, I was really like high on Dilaudid or whatever. And, um, now I'm just kind of like, yeah, no, that was the trauma. Yeah. So being stuck in the hospital for a few months and, um, going through all that physical trauma, my mind again became my only safe space, uh, like a horrific isolating kind of a area um, where I could hide uh, because when the real world needed me again, um, the real world was unbelievably painful and unbelievably confusing um, because I was happy to let these doctors like come in and bring their students and study me and figure me out. But most of the time I just sat there. Um, so I'm grateful, um, if anything, for, you know, how my mother 
raised me and for the complex PTSD she caused because my mind immediately started trying to help um, protect, um, you know, not, and I don't know if uh, that is a good thing or not, but um, just based on where, how I was in my life, I was single at the time. Um, that's what I needed to do to continue to put one foot in front of the other, um, get out of the hospital, um, eventually, uh, fly back to, uh, Las Vegas, um, and, uh, figure out what the hell was happening. Um, so in April, 2019, I had contracted, uh, necrotizing fasciitis and, uh, I'd gotten home over the summer back to Vegas. And the doctors had told me that pretty much where I would be six months after, um, the incident would be where I would stay, uh, probably until I could get like Medicare, unless like I already had like really great healthcare and resources and all that. But I was like, no, it's just going to be me, myself and I, um, for a bit, um, uh, I had uh, disability insurance through my uh, previous employer um, that covered me um, until um, I could get SSDI. Um, but like that's still it's not luxury. It's still SSDI. Um, so they pretty much told me that I needed to try as hard as I could for the first six months um, and that where I would be at that point was where I would stay um, for uh, until I could really get like Medicare, honestly. Um, so, uh, in October, 2019, um, that was the six month mark, um, where I had to accept the deafness, accept the limited mobility, accept the chronic pain, um, the muscle pain, the nerve pain, the joint pain, um, the, uh, neurological issues, um, that, uh, I was experiencing, um, that I didn't realize yet. Um, I didn't realize I was having seizures at the time because I had so much on my plate that I would have wobbly faints and be like, okay, that's weird. I need to continue on with what I have to get done. Um, I'm busy. Um, I started dating a friend, um, who, uh, owned a couple of, um, properties as a landlord, um, as his like retirement strategy. Um, so when, um, he offered, um, a place for me to rent, um, in Florida, um, instead of Las Vegas, um, I took him up on it, um, because, um, I was, I went from being a boxer to being in a body that like, I mean, I had to ask my friends to come over for the first couple of months to help me shower. I was so my arm was still so locked. I was locked in like a Barbie position. Um, and we had to do a lot of rehab. I mean, like this is, this is a great motion. Um, it was just, um, I was a complete shell of who I was and I was so embarrassed and frustrated. Um, and I felt so alone about it because like, um, the doctors at the hospital were so excited to study it. And then I got back to Las Vegas and like, it was about 50, 50 if doctors even knew what necrotizing fasciitis was. Um, 
you know, it's not really common out there in a desert. Um, I just, um, my body was broken. I, I couldn't find any survivors near me. Certainly it was so rare and so deadly. Um, it just, gosh, um, I just felt so alone that, you know, when the guy I was dating said like, Oh, I could, you know, rent one of his paces in Florida. I, uh, I said, yes, absolutely. Um, fresh start. Um, I, uh, didn't want, um, anyone in Vegas, um, to know and see this person I'd become who physically had gotten out of the hospital, just scarred and weak now, um, who, and who mentally wasn't handling it. Like I had all of these physical doctor's appointments and mentally I had one support group for scar survivors and that was not enough. Um, I don't really remember when, um, my alcohol use went from, um, or if it even started like low, or if I just like finally got off of antibiotics and started using that to help. I, I cannot remember. And I don't know if I ever will because of just all of the trauma and the way my brain is structured. Um, but at the beginning, um, it was, uh, just here and there a little to take the edge off a little to help me sleep with the pain, um, and the confusion, um, because my anxiety and my ADHD was still high, but I was in a body that had been anchored. Um, and they were telling me for life. I mean, the fact that like, I can do this is incredible. Um, like clench my hand and move my digits. Like when I woke up, they told me I wasn't gonna be able to do that. They, um, they were preparing to amputate. Like I have what I like to call my Luke Skywalker scar that none of you can see, but it's like, um, they did it for like pressure relief, but I, I always tell people like they almost cut me off right here. This was my Luke. This could have been Luke Skywalker, like, but they really did. They had been prepared to amputate. So they were like, you're never going to get function of that. Um, uh, and so the fact that I can do all this stuff, like, holy shit, that, that is ow, incredible. Um, I just, uh, you know, I had to learn, um, how to do it, um, you know, differently at a different pace and what motions I can and can't do. Um, and I was just so ashamed, um, of this person I'd been forced to become and I wasn't handling it very well. Uh, so I took, um, the guy I was dating up on his offer and moved to Florida, um, moved across country again. Um, so, uh, you know, my mother, uh, disowns me after I'm raped and, um, I see an opportunity and I take it and move to Vegas. Um, I get sick with necrotizing fasciitis and, uh, I see an opportunity to move to Florida and I take it. Um, cause I'd always wanted to move uh, back to Florida. I'd done some internships here, but I'd figured it would be like married with a kid, you know, like in my career as like, um, you know, a project manager or something in like the tech world, not, um, a woman applying for disability, but, you know, um, I figured like, Oh, just roll with the punches. So I got to Florida, um, February, 2020, um, spent three weeks unpacking, um, went on a, uh, um, a trip with a family that has, uh, adopted me. 
Um, they, um, there's a woman, um, who, uh, went through a traumatic experience with her own daughter. Um, and, uh, her daughter is alive and well, but not in her life. And of course my mother is alive and well and not in my life. Um, so we adopted each other. So, uh, I got to Florida, um, unpacked for three weeks, um, and was wondering how I could recover. Like, what if, what could happen? Like where, what will, what will I do? Um, uh, went to the family reunion in the Dominican Republic, which, I mean, they are my family at this point. I call her mom to the point where people get confused and sometimes wonder if Janelle, my birth mother is back in my life. And I'm like, sweet, no. Um, but, um, went to the Dominican Republic and, uh, you know, there'd been all that weird COVID stuff in the news, but like I had stopped paying attention to the news. It was stressing me out. Um, but I was pretty surprised when Trump was like, we're not really going to start letting people back in soon. We skated back in just in time. I can't remember by how many days. Um, and that was about as much of the, the world I got to experience before it ended. It feels like, um, three weeks of Florida, one week in the Dominican Republic. Um, you know, I wonder sometimes like what would have happened uh, if COVID hadn't hit, but, um, you know, the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, it's like a carburetor, like broken. I'm not gonna dwell on it. Um, it was also kind of wild, you know, um, I was immunocompromised at that point. Um, they just told me I, I was so weak and sickly to, I needed to wear masks all the time. And so I was going, I'd been going through hell for 11 months at that point. And then you all caught up with me. That was pretty weird. My friends literally were like, wow, Jane, you're breaking the path again. You know, you're retiring early by moving to Florida. Um, you know, you already love bingo. You, you did COVID a year before us. And I was like, ha, 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 welcome to hell. Like that was really like the joke in the first like week, you know, and we all thought it was just going to kind of be like a slumber party. And I was like, look, all my friends are off work. Um, it, uh, everything shut down and, um, it just became so isolating. Um, alcohol became the only way to treat, uh, the pain in my mind and body. Um, uh, it was hard to get medical care at that time. Um, I was deeply afraid of opioids. Um, uh, and, um, God, the world was on fire. Um, alcohol was easily accessible. Um, and it helped, uh, it brought down the anxiety. Um, it, uh, it brought down the pain. Um, and it just never started being enough though. Um, uh, also one thing, you know, I discovered is that, um, I, y'all, my, y'all are going to resent me for this. I've never experienced a hangover. Um, which like definitely explains like waking up from the coma early to like no supervision or support. Right. Um, uh, like I've just never experienced a hangover. So I never really had any consequences, uh, for bad drinking behaviors. Um, and, uh, you know, I could just bounce back like, okay, drank a little bit too much last night, like going to bed, but whatever, another day. Um, so obviously the relationship, uh, with that man ended and, um, you know, it was, it was a bummer, but, um, I mean, it was, uh, not, neither of us, I think saw it like, uh, 
as long-term long-standing, like we were, you know, spending time together and, uh, you know, it ended cause my, uh, my baggage, uh, you know, just got too, uh, too big. Um, uh, he was, uh, living in, uh, Boston, you know, at the time. Um, uh, so, uh, I broke up or we broke up and, um, I went on, uh, Tinder to just kind of like, see what the men of Florida were like. Um, I was not interested in dating cause I was not interested in going outside. Um, but man, I met someone, uh, who had me believing in soulmates, um, that stars could align and maybe everything happens for a reason. Um, and, uh, it felt like I, I had a purpose that I belonged to something again. Um, you know, when it was too hard to get out of bed for me, um, I could get out of bed, um, for, uh, him and, uh, our dog, Maya, um, So I just kept trying to fake it that I was okay. Um, uh, that I'd gone through this trauma, but I'd moved to Florida and I was fine. And yeah, I still had a bit to work on. I wasn't perfect, but I mean, we hear it in these rooms, right? Fake it till you make it. But for me, you know, I was trying to fake my way through some deep, deep trauma from both how I was raised and what I had just gone through. And there is no faking your way out of hell. You need to ask for help. Um, you can fake it till you make it though, to be nice to someone you don't like or practice meditation. Like I don't discount it. Um, cause it has helped me deeply in my program, but, um, for a while, I just kept thinking, like, if I just keep acting like everything's fine, it eventually will be. Um, uh, but alcohol just became the only thing to quell the anxiety as well as the pain. Um, and um, I started to wonder if I had a problem, but um, I didn't. I was fine. And I, I was just happy to be alive and be here. Right. Like finally like met the man of my dreams. Like, you know, I, I saw life ahead of us that wasn't perfect, but it had potential. And, um, you know, all of that, but my anxiety and my trauma was still in the way. So I just kept drinking to deal with it all. And, um, got a DUI in June, um, of 2021. Uh, um, uh, I don't know if I've told anyone this, but, um, what actually triggered the DUI was, um, a resentment, um, and my inability to communicate. Um, I had a roommate at the time, um, who was getting evicted cause he'd stopped paying rent and was, um, you know, like doing drugs on camera. Um, uh, which was very stressful to me. Um, uh, so I was staying with, um, my partner at the time a lot 
And I had seen on the security cameras that uh, the guy we were trying to evict had like left uh, a door open and unlocked, which was stressing me out. Um, and he like, um, he was like asleep at the time. He was waking up playing a video game and he just made like some offhand comment about like, like who cares or like, it doesn't even matter what he said. Doesn't matter. Um, Cause I just was like, why doesn't he understand me? Like, this is a big deal. I'm so stressed. I miss my home. Like, um, so I took Maya and, um, uh, got in the car and, um, got a DUI. Um, that was June, 2021. Um, and in October I pled guilty. I didn't fight anything. I was trying to just, um, that woke me up getting the DUI. Um, and, uh, I realized I needed to solve this alcohol problem. So I just started reading everything I could, um, watching, um, all these YouTube videos and, um, like I looked into AA, uh, but you know, based on how I was raised, uh, with Catholicism, I was staunchly like atheist, like humanist, like not religious. You couldn't get me into a church. So I looked into that AA crap, but like the God and the he and the him, I was like, okay, let me see if I can get any of the useful info out of this. But like right off the, right off the bat, I don't know. Um, like I'll add it to all of my books, to my repertoire of stuff to look into. Um, uh, cause I just, um, saw that other people had done it. Um, and, uh, I was just trying to mimic them. Um, and I really didn't want to bother anybody with what I was going through. Um, which was my downfall, uh, because I just ended up bothering the loved ones around me to the point where they had to give up. Um, they couldn't take it anymore. Um, you know, uh, I started trying to get sober. Um, like I'd been, um, like gotten sober on and off, like throughout my twenties here and there, but you know, I'd always known it would never like last, like I would drink again. Like, in the beginning, it was always like, a, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to drink for this month, but like, can't wait till, you know, February or March or whatever, um, or after Lent, I don't even know. Um, but then when I was trying to get sober, like every time I would get up time and days and stuff, like it was just terrifying because I knew I was going to like lose it. Um, I never, uh, I never felt like I'd be able to hold on to it. Um, so, uh, I kept trying to ask, uh, my partner and his family for help, but, uh, because of the trauma, because of the alcoholism, um, because of the miscommunications and the paranoia and the fear, um, you know, uh, we both made a lot of mistakes and, uh, I firmly believe though, one of his is, uh, dumping me at 1157 at midnight, um, uh, right before ringing in 2022, but I'm like kind of grateful because it started the year off like that way. Right. Like literally like three minutes to go, like, I guess out with the old and with the new, right. Um, uh, that was very traumatic for me. Um, but, uh, it needed to happen. Um, I was floating for a bit. Um, and on January 8th, I actually went to a farmer's market here in Lakeland 
uh, to help cover a friend's booth for her. Um, uh, she uh, makes and sells jewelry. Um, and uh, I walked up to uh, her booth feeling like a ghost, but trying to like think of everything I had been reading about in my sobriety recovery books and my anxiety recovery books um like uh what i'd been uh marcus aurelius i'd loved online like i was studying this tv show called the good place like and um like looking into the different philosophers they would bring up um but on january 8th i just felt like a ghost and like i literally walked into it and thought like i just want to be the person mr rogers said i could be I had read um, this book uh, um, that I just realized I lent to someone. I keep doing that, damn it. Um, uh, I read this book on like the seven principles of Mr. Rogers, like uh, a doctor had kind of like um, looked over his life and uh, like uh, who studied like psychology or uh, I can't even remember. And she had summarized um, you know, how she thought uh, he had lived a happy, healthy life. And I had read that and I was watching Mr. Rogers like 24 hours a day to stay calm um, on my TV because uh, it's so soothing. <laughs> um, so I just went into that, like that farmer's market, like just not really, I don't even know, um, just wanting to be the person Mr. Rogers told me I could be. Um and uh, a guy came up to her booth. Um, she ran off right away. She had to uh, go get her kid uh, some food. Um, and a guy came up to the booth named Michael. And um, he asked me for my help. He said that he'd had a rough couple of years with COVID. And this was his first time out of the house uh, in a while because his mom had forced him out and said he couldn't come back until uh, he'd gone and talked to one person at the market. So uh, he was talking to me and uh, he needed to just uh, ask uh, me about what like I had and if I had a card I could give him. This was a grown man. Like this was not a child. This guy was my age. Um, and um, man, that was my white light moment. Like, you know, growing up, I'd always like tried to pray like with everybody else at church and just never felt it like, okay, like I don't get it. Um, what are we feeling right now? Um, people would say they feel moved and I'd be like, what's moving? Um, uh, and it would especially concern me when people would be like, I know what God wants. God told me I'd be like, oh no, did you hear a voice? Um, so, uh, you know, but that was my white light moment because I realized like, it just, I finally like felt a connection to this man. You know, our stories were so similar, like anxious, struggling to get out of the house, uh, by ourselves, um, alone. Um, and it was so powerful, um, that, um, I immediately called my, uh, ex's father and asked him for help. Cause I was like, well, clearly I need to like, Michael asked me for help. Maybe like, um, maybe what like I need can't be found in a book or maybe the books are the foundation. I, I need to may I like, I gotta go. So I called my ex's father actually. Um, cause he's a minister or still is, I guess. Um, and I was like, Dennis help. What do I, and 
I told him the long version of it, like crying and everything. I was like, what do I, you obviously can't help me, but where can you point me in the right direction? Um, and uh, he recommended I look into AA as well as the Christian church. And um, I did, uh, one worked out for me, one didn't. Um, uh, I got right into uh, AA um, and uh, started listening um, to as much as I could. Um, this is the exciting part of the story I'm so jazzed to tell you guys about. Um, not about my, my past and all of that shit. Um, but this stuff right here, you know, I started going to AA online, um, and, uh, I was struggling to find meetings and I, I was so confused and disorganized. Like I, I wasn't drinking at that time, but my brain was so clouded, um, from like, you know, being sober, like for longer than a week, uh, and then two weeks and then three, um, being disabled, being by myself now realizing I was having massive seizures, um, uh, you know, I found a 24 hour meeting and then I found like one meeting, uh, local to Florida, kind of near me, um, in Tampa, um, and would listen and would listen to the 24 hour meeting. Um, and like, uh, like read along with the big book and all of that, and then try and interact with the, the smaller group that I found. Um, cause I just couldn't figure out meetings online at all. I was so disoriented. Um, and, uh, on March 3rd, I had my one and only relapse. Uh, my ex, uh, came back to collect his things from our house. Uh, he and the dog, uh, had also left on January 1st. Um, and I hadn't really heard from them very much, uh, at all, like whatsoever. I had to like bug him to remind him he had to break the lease himself. Um, that I could not legally do it for him. Um, so he came on March 3rd to collect his things. And, um, you know, he brought a family member with him and, um, you know, uh, they, um, left quite a mess on their way out. And, um, uh, somehow, some way, um, beer ended up in the center, uh, center of my kitchen. Um, my ex, uh, used to make homebrew. Um, and then in general, um, I've, I've liked collecting cans and weird bottles that, and that type of thing. My entire life, I've switched that to Funko pops. Um, but, um, I relapsed and, uh, it clicked. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I've been reading all of this stuff. I need to go to the meeting now and keep looking for a sponsor and, and ask for help. Um, so, uh, I went to, um, I didn't speak up in the 24 hour meeting because way too big, way too scary. Um, but, uh, I, um, I, uh, ended up speaking up in the smaller, uh, group I found near me here in Florida and it went poorly. I have not really shared, uh, anywhere, um, how this experience went because I knew, um, without the right amount of time to explain, um, it would sound like I would be saying that they were a bad group and they weren't, um, their brand of AA was not for me. And I didn't understand what autonomy meant. 
Um, their style of AA was more of the, you know, you call your sponsor at 8 a.m. And uh, if you want to go on uh, a vacation, you need to clear it with your sponsor first. And like that was more their style of AA. Um, so um, when I rolled up to the meeting, like you guys, I think I had this like profound moment. Stuff's clicked. Like, I know I don't have all the answers, but like, I, 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 I can see there's a path now, at least like, Oh, I, I was excited, you know, um, and instead uh, I got yelled at that I needed to pick up these two different ladies as a sponsor right then and there. And then all the stuff my ex had left, I needed to put out on the curb right then and there. And, uh, and if I wasn't brave enough to do it, they were going to drive right over and they would do it for me. And um, like, I was really worried these women were going to come over and like take the stuff he'd left and like set it on fire on my front lawn. Like I'm just not literally, but like, you know, just that was their brand of AA and that's not me. Um, that traumatized me. I was like, why are you yelling at me? And no, I don't want to set his stuff on fire. Jesus Christ. Um, so I went to my therapist, um, who, uh, I had also gone and gotten thanks, um, to the recommendations of, uh, my ex's father. And of course my ex had begged me to get into therapy. Right. Um, I went to my therapist and I was like, well, this AA thing didn't work out. And, um, I've, I'm doing service at this church and it's okay, but like, I definitely need to like make friends and then like by doing like volunteer work and then kind of distance. Cause I can kind of tell there's weird stuff. Um, uh, and he was, uh, he did for me what Teller had done, um, over a decade earlier. I like went to my therapist, like crying. I was like, I tried this AA thing and it didn't work out. I wasn't able to go online at that point because when my ex left, um, I was still on probation. Um, I didn't have my license back at that point. And when I got my license back, I was going to have to have an interlock. There was nowhere for me to walk, um, where I was in Florida at that time, like no meeting to walk to. Um, and even if there was, I was too traumatized to go to one in person. Um, it's just, it was too much. If AA online hadn't existed, I just would have died. And I went to my therapist like, well, guess I'll just die. Guess I'll just die, Maddie. And like, oh my God, Matt was like, oh, how are you so smart and so stupid? He told me to go back to Google. So I did. Um, and, you know, uh, I went on the uh, online meeting guide directory at the time. And again, I still couldn't figure it out um, just because what I was searching for was daily meetings because that's what I realized I needed. But like the directory was listing it by day, not by daily. And there was so much in there. And I kept trying to narrow stuff down. And like I was just getting like really like ADHD overwhelmed, like um, so, um, I just started randomly like, um, going to meetings that had the word daily in their name, um, which is how, uh, I ended up finding uh, a group in California, um, which inspired me to, uh, try again for a local group near me in Florida, uh, in celebration. Um, and, uh, I've just been, soaking it all in since, you know, um, I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to share it. I'm going to, oh man, I was talking to someone last night 
uh, you know, I did the math because um, I was bored. And uh, by my estimation, um, I have attended uh, about 2000 meetings in the past year. That's not a brag. That is, yeah, that is uh, if you have ADHD or uh, have someone in your life who has ADHD and you know what hyperfixation is. When I did that math number, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Did you really hyper fixate on AA for it? Did you do five years of meetings in a year, Jane? You hyper fixated that bad that all you did was eat egg sandwiches. Jesus. Um, it was because I just loved listening to all of the stories. It was just like all over the world. I could go to Australia. I could go to Israel. I could go to London. I'm here in Ireland. It was just, I, um, I couldn't get enough of it. And I started to learn, you know, I had to figure out the best places for me to share and the people I wanted to be like, I found my sponsors. Um, you know, I wanted what they had. Um, and, uh, in October, 2022, uh, I got off probation, um, and just kept going to AA, even though I, you know, could be in the car again and go out and about, um, I was still hyper fixated, um, instead of, you know, getting out into the real world, uh, it was a lot easier for me to hyper fixate on something else than try something new. Um, like something besides an egg sandwich every day for a year. Uh, um, then in November I was granted social security disability, um, which finally gave me Medicare. Um, and, uh, it, uh, has opened up this whole new world for me that thanks to AA and thanks to my lawyers for continuing to push my case. Um, I am just so excited to be here and be alive again. Um, it's truly incredible. Like, I think about how, you know, even five years ago, I wouldn't be able to go to a meeting so easily on another side of the world. Um, I couldn't have found, um, you know, two sponsors in Oakland, California that um, I just um, could do a whole share on, on its own for everything that they've uh, done for me. Um, uh, but I just kept listening to AA. I just love the stories and figuring out where I wanted to actually speak up and be myself and, um, got the courage to take a cruise to celebrate getting one year sober. Um, uh, but also, um, I'll, I'll have survived neck fash four years next month. Um, and man, when I say four years, it feels like 40, like, man, only four years, Jesus Christ. Um, uh, but, um, I happened to find a $100 cruise, uh, the day after Christmas. Um, my plan had been to go visit, um, one of my fellowships, uh, one of them in California, but then I found this hundred dollar cruise. Um, and that's exactly the type of thing that casino executive Jane used to do, like go on trips by herself. I mean, that's how I got sick. So I called up my mom, Jill, not my birth mother. 
And uh, she was like, all right, you've got to do it, do it, take it, go. And I'm so glad I did. Um, because, you know, four years ago, doctors like physically brought me back to life with like paddles or whatever, however they do that, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, spiritually, I was still dead. Um, and I really feel like taking this trip um, spiritually brought me back to life reminded me who casino executive Jane was. Um, and thanks to the program forced me to incorporate who I used to be with who I am now, which brings me to where I'm sitting here in front of all of you of all of the potential of who I'm going to be and what I don't know what that looks like. Um, I just, I showed up to the cruise on the first day, happy as a clam. Um, I thought I was going to be nervous, but you know, the world being it way, the way it is, some stress going on in my life. I was so excited. I was like, I can't wait. I'm just going to be on a chair and just, whew. oh, and I was going to eat so much food, mm. which in case I forget to say, I'd like to make sure everyone knows I did. I ate so much food. Um, um, happy as a clam. I show up to friends of Bill on the first day. Um, <laughs> like just, oh my goodness gracious. So happy. Um, to, um, a bunch of guys, uh, the youngest one was, uh, in his early fifties and, um, the, uh, oldest one, um, had uh, 57 years of sobriety, uh, which you knew because his wife uh, would embroider it into his little um, collar on some of his uh, vacation shirts because uh, he uh, just was so passionate about Friends of Bill. Um, it was only on the agenda once a day for four, but um, he said he liked doing it in the mornings too. So we uh, were doing it uh, at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. And so I show up to this bunch of guys um, and like I I'm in like, you know, uh, I'm actually I'm we I'm wearing this outfit. Damn, I'm wearing this exact outfit. And I've got my float pants on and my sweater. <laughs> um and I'm like, hey, I'm here cruising by myself. I'm traveling alone. Um, and I'm so excited. And I'm going to be one here sober on Friday. And all of them who uh, had not experienced AA online, um, like, they thought I was full of shit. I mean, none of them, like, said, like, that's bullshit. Um, but, like, they, um, you know, spent the whole meeting, like, sharing their stories and their experience with me. And I didn't take it personally. I ate it all up. I was like, oh, my. God, you, that's your story. Wow. And that's yours. Holy shit. Um, and, uh, just happy as a clam. Um, like I was like, Oh, thank you guys so much for sharing that with me. Bye. Um, and, uh, they kind of like chuckled amongst themselves because they, uh, really did not think you can get sober online. Um, and they certainly didn't think I was going to stay sober. Um, and, uh, thanks to my sponsors, um, thanks to my therapists, thanks to all of you in the rooms. I was just like, okay. Um, I accept that that's what you think. And I also accept that I am not worried about that onward to the rest of my trip. 
I went and made friends. Um, it was truly incredible. Um, but I want to share, um, one part of it with you to close with, um, which I think kind of encapsulates like the power of AA as a program as a whole of what started almost a hundred years ago, what was like forcefully, like what had already exist before COVID, but what has been forced to grow since I just want to share a story about the power of it all and why I'm so excited to be here and share with you all today. And I'm so excited about the future. Um, so I go to that friends of bill meeting, happy as a clam. And I'm also making friends, um, like I used to do, uh, when I was a casino executive and I'm remembering my introverted extroverted, um, you know, balance of what I'm good at and what I'm not. And I'm discovering, you know, what I used to be good at and what I am not at now. Um, and that's a great thing about cruising is that you can experiment and fail and be like, sorry, I thought I could stay up late. And then I actually slept through all of my alarms and missed that. Um, so I'm sorry. And nobody cares. You know, you can order like one thing for dinner and take one bite and be like, actually, I decided that um, I don't like ahi tuna in this type of style. Can I have a steak? No one cares. Like, it's just all you can eat. Um, so uh, you can just be yourself and try and say when you fail and you're struggling and everybody on the boat gets it with you. It's almost like a little bit of AA, uh, a tiny bit. Um, uh, but, um, so I make friends with some other solo travelers and we go to get seated for dining and, um, uh, the, the host, um, the host says to us, he says, uh, you know, you guys are traveling alone. Uh, you're a group of young women. Uh, well, it was just me and another woman um, named Nicole, uh, who I'll probably do another share about like later, uh, you know, because there's a lot I want to talk about about her. Uh, she's really cool. This has gone on long enough. Um, the host said, like, um, you know, uh, a gentleman's here by himself. He has to be seated with other solo travelers, you know, especially women, uh, more social. Uh, is that OK with you guys? And we were like, yeah, sure. Um, and I, I got that request all the time when I used to be, uh, like a solo traveler. Um, and it definitely sounds creepy the first time you hear it until you realize that like, you know, all of the time it's just been, you know, senior men traveling by themselves who are either single, uh, because of choice or because of life circumstances. And it's a lot easier to socialize with, you know, women, um, or small groups of women than it is with like, I mean, imagine if you were traveling by yourself and then put it like a table of eight with a party of seven, like that would suck. So we said, yeah. And we're like, you can sit us with him. Like, absolutely. Like put two, put two pretty young ladies down for this guy's table. Um, and he was like, of course, and it won't just be you two and him. Like it's a table of eight. Um, only ended up being four of us seated there in general. Um, my friend and I go to get seated. Um, and, um, when we walk up, I see one guy at the table who's there by himself, who actually looked like my ex to the point where I was like, wait, what? Um, and I was like, huh, how funny, like somebody, like under the, a, a man under the age of like 60 at a solo traveling table, um, bizarre. Um, and then I continued, um, and saw the, the other person at the table, um, 
who I'm going to um, just call Bill W. Because there's a chance that some of you may know him. Um, he knew me. I knew him. We uh, was the Spider-Man. Um, whoo, and I was happy as a clam, sober, so excited. And um, he wasn't. Uh, Bill, Bill was not. Um, and I'm not going to tell Bill's story here. Um, but it was pretty, it was pretty rough. Um, AA online, like, I mean, that type of situation has happened since AA started, I am sure. But, you know, AA online has definitely, um, brought a new level to it. I feel like of, um, truly, uh, we are anonymous and yet, um, you know, I'm, I am speaking all over the world right now and into the future and past right now in the present. If you think about it with recordings, um, the first night, uh, we ignored each other. I continued to be my happy sober self. I was just like, I made friends with the other people at the table. Um, he sat there and, um, tried not to cry while he finished, um, uh, his bottles of wine. Um, and I really hope that that would be it. Um, I went to the friends of Bill and I was like, you guys, I need help. And, you know, great meetings. Um, so I was ready and I was messaging people, you know, I'd been able to, uh, get a, like Wi-Fi um, on the ship. So I was messaging, uh, people as well. Um, so I was ready for the next night. Um, just hoping he would ignore it and me again. Um, but he didn't. Uh, he started making um, passive aggressive comments um, about like stuff I had shared in meetings, um, not referencing it specifically, but pointed enough that like it was very clear that something was going on um, between like, you know, he was trying to get a response from me. Um, and it was like, uh, the, the people I were with were trying to continue the conversation and like diffuse and calm them down. And like, I wasn't upset or anything. Like, I mean, drunks insulting me. I was a casino host. Like I ate that for breakfast. It wasn't hurting my feelings. I was just like, I, I was thinking like this, there is something here. Like there was so much static in my head and I was just like trying to figure out what to do or say in that moment, like thinking of everything I learned in AA, all of the stories I'd heard, all the people I wished I could be like, you know, I had a moment where I realized like, this is a moment right here. Like I get to choose how I react. Like I swear to God, time slowed down. Um, and, um, I, I figured it out. I stood up and I said to him, you know, I literally didn't ask to be here. I mean, you know, I literally shouldn't even be here. And then I like, can't even believe I found this cruise for a hundred dollars. So I shouldn't be here. And furthermore, I shouldn't be here at your table. You requested me, you requested young women at your table. And I'm sorry that Jane from AA showed up. Uh, he had broken our anonymity at that point. Um, uh, when he had, uh, continued on with his drinking. I, so I'd said to him like, look, I'm really sorry that Jane from AA showed up. That has nothing to do with me. I was thinking of the story, let's take happiness out of the closet. Like for a second, I was like, do I help him? But then I went, no, this trip right now is bringing me back to life. And if he wanted my help, he would have asked for it. He's not. So I just said, 
you asked for me at your table and I'm sorry that Jane from AA showed up, but here I am. And I really hope you can go talk to, you know, somebody like your, I think I said sponsor or maybe the wonderful people at this table who I've befriended. Um, but I'm going to go now. Um, and I was like, I think, I think I will have made my sponsors proud. I think I will have made Matt proud. Like for, for, for once, you know, I was sober and I think I did the next right thing. And I was like, fuck, ah, what do I do now? Fuck. Ah. Um, I had that moment of like, yay, I did it. Um, so I was standing in front of this elevator bank, not screaming like that, but like, just totally like in like shock, like, just like, like tears in my eyes. Like, like I was like, okay, I have my safety kit back in my room that has my favorite candies. I brought my baby blankie. I brought my favorite smells. I have my books. Um, I, uh, like, I'm really don't think I'm going, this Wi-Fi is strong enough for a phone call um, at this point in time as it's barely strong enough for Zoom in the morning when people aren't using it. I don't think I'll be able to, like I was trying to figure out what to do. I was just like, my brain was again running at a million miles per hour. Like if, if time had slowed in that moment when I said to Bill, um, whose name is not Bill by the way, uh, to be very, very, very clear, um, uh, you know, if time had slowed then, oh, it sped back up a thousand times faster. Um, and, uh, I heard some lady talking and her, uh, accent was Irish. And I was like, are, are you from Ireland? Like, uh, and she said, yes. And I can't even remember what happened next. Um, like if she asked if I was okay, or if, I don't even know. Um, but, um, somehow I said to her, like, um, like she said, like, is everything all right? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm fine. You know, um, I'm just a little out of sorts right now. And um, man, uh, there's a meeting uh, uh, in Ireland that I really wish I could go to. Or maybe I said, like, I wish that I could talk to my Irish friends and get their experience, strength and hope. I don't even know. Just hearing your accent, I was like, okay, like, you know, and that's all I said. And um, all of a sudden she was like two elevator banks away. And then all of a sudden she was right in my face. She grabbed me by the hand and she said, are you a friend of Bill's last? And I was like, and I hope I didn't butcher that accent, but like it was in that thick accent. And like, I felt like I was hit by lightning and I was like, yes. Um, and we are no longer waiting for the elevators. Um, she dragged me to the smoking section, sat me down, told me the passage about acceptance. We exchanged info and she left, finished her cigarette. Um, she showed up to friends of bill, uh, two days later. Um, and all of them were so surprised that I had stayed sober on the trip and I was still so happy and they still did not understand zoom AA. And I said, like, don't you guys see, you don't even need to understand it, that you're a part of it right now. Anyway, like I am here and sober because I got sober online through zoom online AA, like, and we have all been a part of each other's lives and been hearing each other's stories anyway. And I hope I've made a difference in yours. I mean, Deidre, the only reason you and I connected, uh, was because 
I recognized your accent and I go to a meeting four days a week. Like I never, ever would have spoken up otherwise. Like, why would I just randomly speak to a random Irish person and be like, hi, can you help me? I have, big, I have a big sad right now. Um, no, like I, I imparted on them. I'm like, you all are part of on AA online, whether you want to be a part of it or not. Like we connected because of it, that somehow, some way she knew and grabbed my hand and asked if I was a friend of Bill's and knew to drag me off and say exactly what I needed to hear that acceptance is the answer, but acceptance has nothing to do with approval. Nothing. Um, like, it is so exciting to be alive right now in this completely new world of technology in post COVID. And there is so much trauma there. Yes. Like there, there is so much to clean up on top of the, the shit that just happens every day when stuff is going fine. Um, but it, it's so exciting you know, we're living in this like renaissance period right now. Like all of us truly do have blank checks and blank notebooks in life. Um, but we're in this period right now where information is so readily available, uh, where we can interact and go around the world and where people like me who were too scared to leave the house for a year can, you know, speed run AA and go to a shit ton of meetings um, to be able to go on a cruise and have the spiritual life paddles to bring me back to life um, and make me realize like, God, I am still broken and messed up and I have so much to work on and fix and the world has issues too, but I am so happy to be alive and be here with all of you. Um, the last night of the cruise, I got to watch um, the uh, space launch. Um, I uh, saw it was supposed to be on the first night of our cruise, but it uh, had gotten scrapped and I saw that it had gotten rescheduled. So I told one friend on the boat who told another and um, told the DJ in the back. And um, we found other people who were more serious, um, you know, space enthusiasts uh, watching for the launch in the front. And um, we got to watch four men get shot into space um we were all alive to see that and those men are alive on the space station right now and they're doing things and learning things i'll never know and understand but i mean like gosh if i ever meet them at least i'll be able to say like if you have questions i can introduce you to an astronaut um so that's what I'm most excited about AA online is that I get to meet all of you and hear all of these stories and soak it all up and use it to help me um, and hopefully be able to be somewhat of a, a connector. Um, I just like, I don't know anything, but I know people who do. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say I need to be kinder to myself. Um, I know a lot of good people. Uh, I know a lot of good people, places and things. Um, uh, who have taught me so much. And um, it's kind of hard for me to share my experience sometime because it's a little hard to relate to. Um, and I, I get confusing sometimes and say things wrong and offend people. Um, but um, if I can't uh, share and relate, um, I can connect you to people who can. Um, and that is truly the power of AA online. Uh, it being secular. I mean, 
that is uh, being an option. Um, you know, my higher power is the group of people who keep me from being a drunk, whether that's physical or emotional. So um, I am just so grateful um, to Bill W for creating the program and the internet and like my sponsors and all of you for being here, for being a part of my recovery. And um, I hope I've shared some excitement with all of you about um, this really cool world that we are living in and all of the potential opportunities we have in front of us uh, to be a part of history um, with like, you know, our own stories of recovering um, and, uh, you know, live really exciting lives. So um, thank you all for listening.